hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. And uh, hello, online audience. Great that you can join us as well. Hey, this week is a very, very special week for Christian believers because it is Holy Week, otherwise known as Passion Week. And this is the week that leads up to Jesus Christ's crucifixion. And so, you know, it's great to have a look at this week and how it unfolds. It's the week of Jesus' kind of final instructions and uh, final teaching. And, you know, his best ministry happened in this final week. Uh, So many lessons for us about what he taught us. And it's amazing when you think about being a disciple, what Holy Week would have been like. Man, what a roller coaster for those guys. Extreme highs and extreme lows. I mean, today is Sunday, uh, the week before Resurrection Sunday, known as Palm Sunday, and Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, the high around that. And then the, um, the, then the Pharisees and Judas plot against him. And then we see his crucifixion and how devastating would that be for the disciples and uh, their, their Lord is gone, all hope is lost. And then the resurrection. Wow, what an incredible week this is. So let's embrace Holy Week. And can I encourage you to take a little bit of time out each day of this week uh, to remember and to reflect on Jesus and his ministry and his movements that led up to his death, burial, and resurrection. And Caitlin's helped me uh, put a flyer together. Did anyone get one of those coming in today? Wave it to me and I can see it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, why not embrace Holy Week and just look at uh, each day um, in the life of Jesus' ministry leading up to the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. So it's all there. Some of your notes for today are there as well. So today, again, is Palm Sunday, where Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey in keeping with prophetic prophecy. Palm Sunday, this is both a happy and sad day for Christians. Happy because we get to praise Jesus. Sad because it's the week leading up to his death. Let's go to Mark 11, verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Now to verse 9. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna was a cry of hope from an oppressed people living under Roman rule, and it means, save us, save us, deliver us. And the palm, and I love the detail that it was kind of uh, in our backdrop behind the words this morning. The palm symbolizes victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. And the people of Israel were saying, Hosanna, to God with an earthly mindset. They were wanting Jesus to come and to deliver 
them from the oppression of the Romans, to make their nation great again, just uh, to restore it to power. And so they had hope in Jesus Christ. I mean, people would fall down when he spoke. I mean, they were believing he was their deliverer, the son of David, and he was going to deliver them from the Roman rule. But, uh, you know, Jesus' ways are higher than our ways. And he came to deliver us, but to deliver us from sin that separates us from a holy God. Jesus would save them, but not how they imagined it. He would deliver people not from Roman oppression, but from our sin that separates us from our holy God. And uh, we get to start doing the exercise today because it's Sunday. So today's uh, devotion or lesson is... um, Let's worship Hosanna with full revelation of who he is and what he is about to do, and that is to deliver us from sin. And so we're going to do that at the end of the service. And so you've already started the whole exercise that I've given you this week, so you might as well just continue it. So let's uh, go on to Monday. I've got quite a bit to get through this morning. So let's go to Monday, and on the Monday after Palm Sunday, Jesus curses a fig tree, and then he goes and cleanses the Jerusalem temple. Mark 11, verse 12. Now the next day when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see it. Perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. I'm wondering if Jesus was hangry. I think you know what that term means. When you're so hungry, you get angry. And Jesus went there hoping to get some fruit, and there was no fruit on it. So he cursed it. If you think this is a bit odd, you're not alone. Some scholars had real trouble with it. Why did Jesus take out his anger on the poor fig tree? Why curse it? So he curses the tree and carries on to Jerusalem. Verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. The house of prayer, the house of worship, the place where people can come and meet with God. The temple was to be the center of life and worship, but here it was looking more like our local Kmart than what it was intended to be. This elaborate buying and selling and money-changing operation was a scam to make money off the poor. It's a problem Jesus could not ignore. He had to confront it. He doesn't only reveal what's there. He does something about it. He cleans things out. He drives out what shouldn't be there. He overturns what doesn't belong. Hollow religion is actually hard to spot, especially when the focus is turned on ourselves. We have an amazing capacity for self-deception and self-justification. 
When a church becomes a place where it's hard to find God, it becomes something other than what God intended it to be. That's why Jesus says in Mark 11 verse 17, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Where was it written that it should be a house of prayer? It's in Isaiah 56 verse 7. What's going on in Isaiah 56? It's about the nations coming to God. It's about God's heart for the people and for the nations. If God's church is a house of prayer, a house of worship, then everyone is welcome. Everyone has the opportunity to meet Jesus. This is something Jesus is willing to fight for and ultimately die for. This act of cleansing the temple cost Jesus. Let's look at verse 18. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking for a way to destroy him. He gave them that opportunity by his actions of what he did. Jesus cared so much about removing barriers to worship that he lost his life over it. How much do we care about that? Jesus wants to restore real and genuine worship to the temple. So this is tomorrow's lesson or tomorrow's devotion. Have I got a heart for people and the nations? So take some time out tomorrow just remembering how he cleansed the temple. Lord, help me to make my circles larger, expand my heart for the nations that are coming. You see, outreach always starts in here. Am I reaching the lost? Am I discipling? Because if we're not careful over a period of time, all of our friends and all the people we associate with can be Christian. When we're called to actually seek and to save the lost. And there's some readings there. And just a, a reminder that this church was birthed on the scripture Isaiah 54, where it says, Sing, O barren. You who do not do not have, sing. Begin to de declare and begin to prophesy and begin to enlarge your heart and get ready. And uh, we are to strengthen the stakes and lengthen our courts. We're to stretch wide because God wants to bring the nations to us. He wants us to stretch out to the left and to the right. And do we have a heart for the nations? And it's amazing to think that this was a prophetic declaration over us 50 years ago when Ash Burden was very, very white, very, very New Zealand, and now we have all the nations flooding into this town. And as a church, we are called to reach them, to, to reach out and to welcome nations into the house. And it actually begins in our hearts by having a heart for the nations. And then we move to Tuesday. Jesus teaches his followers a lesson about the fig tree he cursed the previous day. It's kind of like a sandwich, this whole lesson. And uh, a sandwich is an amazing thing. Like Lisa's favorite sandwich is an egg sandwich. And what do you do? You take an egg and you put it between two bits of bread, and then it's called an egg sandwich. My favorite sandwich is a lamb sandwich. Lamb, salt and pepper, a wee bit of tomato relish. Again, white bread. 
you put that lamb between two bits of white bread and you have a sandwich. And here we have a sandwich. It's, uh, the, the fig tree is like making a sandwich about what he's teaching about, about the temple. So maybe it's called a temple sandwich or a teaching sandwich. But uh, Jesus is using the fig tree to further explain his lesson. Why did he curse it? Why the destructive miracle? You know, the fig tree is a symbol of the nations. And on a fig tree, there's two types of fruit. There's the figs that are beautiful and sweet and, and ripe, and they will come much later. But when the leaves come on the fig tree, there's a fruit known as nubs, and it's the pre-fig. Uh, pre and they're eatable, and they're known as poor man's fruit, but you can get a meal there anyway. And so when there's leaves on a fig tree, there should be figs. But when Jesus goes over there, there is no figs. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of a fig tree is to give us fruit. And the whole of idea of us uh, being Christians is to produce the fruit of Jesus Christ. And have you ever seen like that artificial fruit, like uh, in a fruit bowl? It looks perfect, like it might be made out of wood or plastic or wax or something. And the fruit looks perfect, and it's not going to go off, but it's not real fruit. And it can deceive us. Um, Jesus wants us as Christians to produce fruit of Christianity. The fig tree symbolizes the deadness of Israel's worship. A dead tree that doesn't bear fruit. And so the people in Israel have become hypocrites. And Jesus doesn't like hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Like you look amazing, but you're not producing any fruit. You brood of vipers. Jesus was very, very harsh on hypocrites. And we've got to be very, very careful as Christians that we don't become that. Christians that look like Christians, but we don't produce any fruit. The fig tree was symbolizing spiritual barrenness. The fig tree is also a symbol for excuses. Think about Adam and Eve. They covered themselves after they sinned with fig, tree, uh, with fig leaves. And what did they have? Excuses. Do we have a hunger for true worship, a spiritual life that will produce spiritual fruit? Jesus wants us to be fruitful. The fig tree represented the temple, especially its leaders. They were hypocrites. As a result, the temple was dead and worthless. And so our lesson for Tuesday is this. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it wasn't producing fruit. And we're to ask ourselves, am I an authentic Christian? Is my worship genuine? Am I a good witness to others? Can others see for themselves real and authentic Christian fruit? Now on to Wednesday. Little is known about uh, Jesus and the whereabouts on Wednesday. The, the Pharisees are plotting to kill him, and it seems like 
Jesus is lying low. It's kind of like the calm before the storm. We know that it's going to get very intense from here on out. So it's like he's having a day of rest. And I want to encourage us to understand Sabbath rest. Jesus was one that would spend time with his Father, and he knew how to rest in God. And Sabbath rest is resting in God and the awareness of him. It is not gaming. It is not watching movies. It's not keeping ourselves in the buzz of busyness. It is being still, meditating, reflecting, getting close to our Creator. Sabbath rest is an invitation to rest in God's presence, something that we are to practice for all eternity. It is an act of regular and intentional trust of God's rule on earth. When we stop working, we can truly rest in God's presence. Sabbath rest breaks our addiction to doing, producing, and accomplishing. In a culture like ours, it's like trying to get off crack cocaine because we are used to the buzz of busyness in life. And rest, true rest, Sabbath rest, is resting in God. So uh, on Wednesday, take time to rest in God. However that looks to you, rest in Him. Uh, you can read the Exodus story in Exodus 12, or you can read this about um, uh, Holy Week in Mark chapter 11. And this is something else that we can do while we're resting on the Sabbath is Take time to look at the full moon. You see, uh, we always have a full moon at Easter because it goes back to the Passover. And we can actually remember how Jesus delivered Israel from the Egyptians through the blood of the Lamb and how he made them a great nation and how this has been a, a tradition for thousands of years, Passover and how Jesus is our Passover lamb. And when you look at the full moon, you can actually realize that it's the same full moon that the disciples were under when Jesus told them or instructed them to stay there and to keep watch. It's the same full moon where Jesus was arrested under. They arrested him in the, in the early hours of the morning when it was dark, and all the people after the Passover Festival would have been sleeping as to not cause another riot. And this is the same full moon that we can see this week as we remember Holy Week and all that Jesus has done. Thursday. Jesus and his followers engage in preparations for celebrating the Jewish Passover, known as the Last Supper, which brings about a new covenant for us. And Jesus washed feet even Judas, his betrayer, sat at the table with clean feet. Jesus teaches us a lesson about serving. And they also took communion, which is incredible. And God is making a new covenant, unlike the one which Israel had broken. This new covenant would offer forgiveness of sin, internal renewal of the heart, and intimate knowledge of God. And we are saved and redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And as we take communion on Thursday, we can remember that. 
And the reading uh, here for that is this. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So may I encourage you on Thursday to take communion, and also Thursday is our Easter experience our easter celebration and we will be doing communion here so you're welcome to come out and join us and take communion here on thursday night and another part of the lesson for thursday is reflect on how christ served by washing the disciples feet further reflect on how you can serve using your gifts and talents friday after nightfall, Jesus is betrayed and arrested. He is subjected to trials before the Jewish and Roman authorities. Jesus is crucified. The celebration of the resurrection can't happen without the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And that's already come out this morning. You don't have a resurrection without death. No death no resurrection. And Jesus took on the cross the punishment and the suffering that was due to us for our sin. The righteous died a sinner's death for the sinner so that we can be made righteous through his sacrifice. He died our death so that we can have his life. He was punished so that we can be forgiven he was cursed so that we can be blessed on the cross it was an horrific death but sin must be punished and Jesus took all of that punishment upon himself so that we can have new life in Jesus Christ and if you want to come to Jesus we all make uh, the, the come through the same path and it's through the cross acknowledging his death and his suffering and what he did for us, acknowledging the, the, the cost or, or the wages of our sin and coming to him through the cross as we repent and we turn our life over to him. We must always acknowledge the cross and how far he was willing to go to pay the cost for our sin. The entire message of the gospel revolves around one unique historical event, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hebrews declares in, in Hebrews 10 verse 14 that by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected and forever speak of a sacrifice that comprehends every need of the entire human race and its effects extend throughout time and into eternity a single sovereign act of god brought together all the guilt and the suffering of humanity and offered one all-sufficient solution and that's the cross however to receive god's all-sufficient solution to sin suffer suffering and sorrow we must not only understand the importance of the cross 
but we must also make our way there. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus so loved the world that he was willing to die on the cross for us so that whomsoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So on the Friday, we are to remember the cross and the cost that Jesus was willing to pay for our sins. The cross is the most popular symbol in the world. It is a symbol of Christ's sacrifice and how much he loves us. Have your kids and yourself look for the symbol. See how many you can find and give thanks with everyone you find. And uh, a real easy way to start this process is with a hot cross bun because at least the first one will be very easy to find and we can remember all that Christ was willing to do for us. Saturday, nothing is known about the whereabouts of the disciples. Most likely they went into hiding for fear of the Jewish authorities. Imagine what that was like for the disciples. They've been following Jesus. He was their Lord, their Messiah, and now he is dead. And on the sad day, they all scatter and they head back to go fishing and, and uh, do what they used to do, confused on that road to Emmaus, wondering what it was all about, what had happened. They were lost. All hope for the disciples was lost. It was a really, really dark, horrible time for them. But, you know, it's the darkest day before their brightest day. The night is always at its darkest just before the dawn. The resurrection is about to happen. Dawn is coming. Hope is coming. Death is no longer the end. So the um, devotion for that day, on Saturday, is to um, remember how Jesus, after his resurrection, came back and like a good shepherd, gathered up the disciples again. He went looking for them. He hunted them out. He knew they were lost and he went after each and every one of them. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd. And uh, we can read the parable of the lost sheep and also meditate on Psalm 23, which is a prophetic word for us for 23, and how Jesus is our good shepherd. And also just uh, reflect on the fact of, do we know somebody that, that used to walk with God and they're far from God, and can we reach out to them and go after them like Christ has done it for us and for the disciples? Can I get the band up now? And finally, Sunday, the greatest day in our Christian life, the resurrection. Next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus has victory over death, over sin, and over the grave. And we're going to come out and celebrate Resurrection Sunday, but for the Christians, we get to enjoy Resurrection Sunday every day of our life. Jesus' victory is our victory. The tomb is empty because Jesus is risen. And what a celebration that is. 
So next Sunday, we're going to celebrate that here, Resurrection Sunday. But another exercise that you can do if you're away and away with family and, and kids is uh, there's a lesson with those eggs. So make sure you buy those this week because uh, those eggs are very symbolic. You know, an egg symbolizes new life and we have new life in Jesus Christ. Those hollow ones, you know, the hollow ones, the real creamy, milky ones, they symbolize the empty tomb. And resurrection is amazing. And chocolate is sweet like the resurrection. So there's a lesson there for us. So enjoy your Easter eggs next Sunday. And remember that, the, that uh, chocolate is sweet like the resurrection. But right now, we're going to do the very first one at the start of Holy Week. So can I get you to stand to your feet? And we're going to worship Jesus Christ just like they did on the Sunday leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to worship Him not with an earthly mindset, but with a heavenly mindset that He has conquered sin and death for us and made a way for us to have eternity with God. So let's uh, celebrate Him, let's worship Him and, uh, and at the end of the song, you know, God's house is to be a house of prayer and if you want prayer for anything, you're welcome to come up for prayer as well.